Hello everybody, my name is Nakert Nibelink. Welcome back to the JWB Dynasty Digest where we give you a consumable dynasty perspective. Today I've got at Psych Ward FF Matt, the man himself, here to talk wide receivers with me. Matt, how are we feeling today? I'm feeling good, man. We were already chopping it up a bit before we hopped on the mic. I'm pretty excited about this one. I am too, but before we get too excited, we got to roll that intro. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I, like, I'm, I'm in for Death, taxes, and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really... I, had not, I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. All right. Well, if you saw the running back video that I did with at Tyler score underscore at Tyler underscore FF underscore earlier this week, then you know kind of how we're going to approach this. Pretty much the same as we did that. We've got some kind of consensus rankings, just a way to order these guys as we move through them. Before we get into that, though, Matt, I want to just talk a little bit about how we go about our process of evaluating wide receivers. So I'll let you start. Uh, what's the first thing that you go to when you're starting your process of evaluating each wide receiver class? I mean, I'm an analytic mind first and foremost, so I, uh, analytics certainly drive my process. There's several places that you can pull them from, whether it's C2C websites or, you know, PFF, wherever you may go for your stats is up to you. Um, but obviously that takes a little bit of digging and a little bit of grinding. So one of the things that kind of leads me to a strong analytic model, so to speak, I don't like calling it a model because I don't design these things. Like I let much smarter people write the Excel page for me. <laughs> but yeah. with that said, there, there's certainly things that I look for um, in wide receivers specifically and things like a consistent target share, receiving yards per offensive play over receiving yards per team pass attempt a lot of the time guys just focus on receiving yards per team pass attempt i like per offensive play to tell you that they are not just dominating the passing game but dominating the offense as a whole things like that obviously a target share above 25 percent for consistent years is going to be great you know we feel like targets are earned from an analytic perspective so things like that tell you that they are also dominating the opportunities um yeah there's there's so many different ways to attack an analytic model but for the most part what it's trying to tell you is not a perfect prospect or show you a perfect prospect but show you what is a good bet or what players have higher hit rates than others have better chances at servicing your fantasy rosters with the capital that you were spending on them with the rookie pick that you spend on them and obviously that helps us decide these tiers that we're going to get into some guys may seem like they have similar analytic um processes or, or profiles rather um similar similar analytic profiles but they obviously have certain red flags or certain risks attached that make them more risky bets and then that's where you would say i would rather spend one four or one five on this player and my next year would be one six one seven so to speak right yeah for myself i generally start with film it's just the way i'm most comfortable with it um kind of developed that over the last three years or so and really for me, I just get into film first because I don't want to be influenced by the statistics, as I know I will be if I see them first. Um, so I go into it, you know, I obviously hear the names. I have some sort of list of who's popular, who's being touted as potential first round, second round picks. Um, in January is usually when I start after the NFL season has wound down. 
And so that's usually where I start, especially with the top guys. Just start with the start with the film first, see what I think based off that, and then afterwards I incorporate um, mostly just work off the analytics of other trusted analysts you know that's what i'm saying that, <laughs> that, that i know do a good job and that i respect their process and i kind of use that obviously i have my own things i'm looking for um similar to what you're saying i like to see a good target share um market share in the offense all those kinds of things definitely matter i do probably give some more allowance for some players not meeting some of those analytical thresholds. If I see something that I really like on the tape or something that really projects towards a ceiling, I'll talk about that a little bit more with one of these players that we're going to get into here. Um, but I guess in general, that's kind of my my step-by-step process, I would say, is I start with the film, try not to get into the stats until I have some idea of what I think personally of the player, and then I kind of let the analytics color in the rest for me after the fact. Yeah, I think we have essentially the same process, just almost in reverse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. All right, well, that process led us both to have Jackson Smith and Jigba in a tier of his own as the top-tier player, top-tier wide receiver here. Matt, why don't you tell us what you're liking the most about JSN? I mean, it's pre- it's pretty easy what you should like the most about him. And kind of speaking from a film perspective, it's not necessarily a quantifiable thing, but it's his route running. And, and I'm there are smarter minds than myself that have begun to quantify it, such as um, Matt Harmon with ReceptionPerception.com. And obviously, it's green all over the place. Green meaning good, uh, high success rates on every route. He shows a versatility and a maturity with his route running tree that very few people have, let alone people in this class have. From an analytic perspective, I mean, he has the highest yards per route run of anybody in this class. He has one of the greatest single season outbreaks that any receiver has ever put up in college. And he did so dominating a market share next to two wide receivers that went 10 and 11 respectively in the NFL draft and both put up a thousand yards in their first year as a rookie season, joining a group of only six other receivers to ever do so in the last 25 years. So with that said, Jackson Smith and Jigba comes from a pipeline of incredible success and dominating a market share with guys that are already established NFL talents is something that you have to love. It's a little concerning that it's only one solid year, and that kind of makes his analytic profile somewhat muddied. Um, Obviously, collegiate career averages of his best season are better than most uh, in the class, but just the one season, the 19-year-old sophomore breakout, 13 games played, but he put up 22.7% 22.7% target share with Olave and Wilson, 1,606 yards, nine touchdowns, 16.9 yards per reception, 3.26 receiving yards per team pass attempt. And this is one of the things that I really love is you want to see over 2.75 receiving yards per team pass attempt. But something that's even more indicative and correlative to NFL fantasy points that I found in my model is receiving yards per team play or per team offensive play per team attempt however you want to write it out it and he had 1.77 receiving yards which topped the team as well 32.4 percent of the team's total receiving yards he's just an absolute stud in every sense of the word the one thing that people wanted to give him a knack for obviously other than the health that kept him off the field in his final junior season was his lack of speed but the least 
correlative thing to NFL success from a wide receiver, as far as we know, with all of the historic data that we have, is 40 time. It affects their draft capital the most and their production the least. And you just look at the top 12 wide receivers in points per game last season, only two of them broke 4-4. Only two. It's just, it's not something that, you know, Keenan Allen runs a 4-6-7, and I know he did it on a torn up knee, but like Cooper Cup runs a 4-6, CeeDee Lamb runs a high 4-5. Like it's just, Justin Jefferson runs a 4-5. It's not something that is overly, and if Jackson Smith and Jigbo were to run a 4-7, like I don't care if it leads to 1,606 yards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you're saying there. The... Speed to me is just kind of a an absolute top end ceiling thing. Like unless you really think that he's Cooper Cup, right? Then basically you're saying that this is one attribute that could take away from that absolute ceiling for him, where you know he could be like the top wide receiver uh, in fantasy, or like in that Jefferson Chase echelon at some point in his career, where we're ranking him up with those guys. So to me, he doesn't quite reach there. Obviously, being kind of a slot-only guy gives me a little bit of pause in terms of the projectability. It's not that, I mean, we've seen it with other players where they come from the slot and they do fine on the outside. I'm not saying that he can't. It's just that we haven't seen it, really. So um, that is something. I do think that he benefited from Wilson and Olave being on the outside in that season on film. That was something that I saw a lot of where it really seemed like teams were really trying to sell out to stop Wilson and Olave on the outside. And JSN was literally like left alone on a bunch of plays across the middle where he's like, and Stroud like looks to the outside and they're like double covering Olave over there. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I go across the middle to JSN again. And that works when you have three elite tier wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, there um, is nuance but... to that too. I'm, I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that, that made me, um, I felt like I was lower on JSN to start and, but really I think there's a few things that have kind of um, solidified this in my mind. Just <laughs> like you say, it's like, the absolute heights that he achieved, regardless of how he achieved them, uh, you don't achieve those heights by accident, right? Um, it's pretty impossible to do so. And then um, one of our other JWB analysts uh, at FF Tyler O, Tyler was saying, you know, like this guy's been that guy since high school, right? Like coming out of high school, he was still that guy. You hear Olave and Garrett Wilson talk about him and they rave about him. Uh, everybody has the same opinion of JSN. That's he, that is that he is a terrific wide receiver. Um, I don't have any real complaints with anything I saw on tape. I didn't see anything that I'd characterize as a truly elite characteristic, except maybe the agility. Um, but again, for a slot wide receiver, somebody like that, it's really just a little bit more about awareness and making yourself presentable and knowing where to be to present yourself. And that's something he was clearly able to do given uh, the production that he put up. So yeah, all things considered, I think we kind of end up on the same spot here. Uh, Now, I guess just to kind of give a little more context to this, where would he fit in for you in terms of, like if you're doing a startup and uh, JSN is in there, is JSN like already a top 10 dynasty wide receiver for you? Is he fall outside that category? How do we yeah. kind of... This is where things get it? interesting with yeah. JSN because he's by far my favorite positional player um, 
non-quarterback meaning outside of Bijan. I th- and mm-hmm. I, we have him essentially in a tier of his own, both of us as the wide receiver one of the class. With that said, I think the market and it being rookie fever season and all the time that everybody is, you know, either regretting not having those rookie picks or now again getting enamored with the pro- uh, prospects what when they're going through the draft cycle, whatever causes that psychology, we see it as a cyclical cycle every single year. Rookie fever is certainly a tangible thing. So now that we're seeing that, he is being valued kind of in that top 12 to top 10, between 10 and 12, ahead of guys like Devontae Smith, Drake London, um, guys that are on that low-end wide receiver one dynasty tier. For me, you're basically doing like the Family Guy mystery boat meme. Where it's like, you know, we've wanted a boat our whole lives and now we can get a boat or we can have a mystery box, which could also be a boat. Sure. (laughs) But it's also a mystery box. Like I was saying at the top of the show, and I'll I'll reiterate a bit, there is no such thing as a perfect prospect, but there is such thing as a really good bet on a prospect, a perfect bet, so to speak. And I do think he's a great bet should all of these top three quarterbacks get that top 15 draft capital and it would go Bijan quarterback 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 and then you're looking at JSN at one five smash that, that's as good as a value you're going to get for a wide receiver bet at that position in almost any draft ever so I do really like that that said as an overall perspective in startup ADP yeah I think it's a little too rich for me right now yeah so just looking at keep trade cut here, they've got him at wide receiver 12. So let's do just a quick, would you rather? So two players above him and two players below him. Let's do this DVS Devonta Smith. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I want Devonte in the third. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Drake London. Drake London. DK Metcalf. Mm, Metcalf actually, probably. Yeah. And Tyreek. Yeah, Tyreek. I mean, even with the retirement news, like, it's funny that he's that low even. You're still getting three years of wide receiver one production. You hope that JSN gives you three years at wide receiver one production at any point in his career. Yep. No, I totally agree. Um, Metcalf is the one that kind of actually makes me. Yeah, Yeah. I think. (laughs) That's where I draw that line. For me personally, I think I would agree with you. Uh, except for Metcalf. I think I would take JSN over Metcalf personally at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's very, very close for me. It's it's really tough, yeah. and I know that it's also like a market thing where DK is kind of leveling out at – it doesn't matter what his project, production is going to be. He's going to be like wide receiver 12 or 13 on the market for probably three or four years. So yeah. unless I'm really expecting another – or a top five season, it's kind of tough to – yeah, I think I agree with you. All right, let's keep rolling. We got to talk about Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, I'll kick us off here. I wrote in my notes uh, from film that I would describe Addison as a professional receiver. He played a lot out of the slot, especially at Pitt. Certified master of the slot fade uh, was (laughs) one of his best routes by far. Yep. Really, yeah. Just, (laughs) I mean, that's what that catch any other. that catch <laughs> if you guys don't yeah. know what i'm talking about just google yeah. jordan addison catch it'll be yeah. like the yeah it came off a slot fade yeah yeah more than any other receiver i've ever watched tape of he's just hauling in slot fade after slot fade for massive yardage uh that was pretty impressive stuff i thought he was a very convincing route runner above average yak ability due to his quickness definitely saw that he was slight of frame even before we saw the weight coming we in uh, we knew, yeah. 
And I do have concerns about him in contested catch or where he needs to get physical. Like, I I think about Addison in this way. Like, some people have compared him to Devontae Smith in this regard. Like, uh, two guys who are kind of thinner guys, right? But Devonta Smith, I never had any concerns about him being able to play in traffic or to make plays over top of guys or go up in contested catch situations. I never had those concerns. With Addison, I do have those concerns because there were times where he got bottled up where he had a guy on him, and he honestly like didn't even try to make a play on the ball in some cases, and that's pretty concerning to me. Um, I do think that the route running is good enough that um, – especially on deep routes like he finds ways to shake people the tracking downfield is really good i do think that you know the 40 i think it was a 449 he came in at and people yep. were super worried about it that's good enough for me, um, me we've too. seen plenty of receivers be able to get open deep with that kind of speed so uh, he might not absolutely torch everybody running down the field but i do think that he's good enough to get past people and yeah good enough to track the ball down the field and make plays on the ball down the field so I really think that playing through contact will be kind of the attribute that defines whether he's a good or great receiver at the next level. Um, so that's kind of my my biggest concern, I guess you would say, with Addison moving forward. Obviously, another guy with a really good uh, analytical profile, somebody that you're, especially going back, obviously, to the pit year. Um, yeah. <laughs> impressive stuff on on the on the stat sheet from that year. So overall, Addison is a guy, uh, for me, I'm I'm not like excited about, but definitely I think this is a professional receiver. He's going to give you some wide receiver two, wide receiver three years in there. And that's definitely worth, you know, he's going anywhere from the 107 to the 111 in all the mock drafts that we've been doing. I don't anticipate that'll change much unless his draft capital gets really messed up next week and he falls yeah. into like the third round or something pretty crazy. Anything which is happen, possible, I mean, but uh, yeah. I don't think that's likely. So I think that'll probably be where you have to pick him. And I think that's reasonable. Uh, to spend on Jordan Addison, a player of this caliber. Uh, but I wouldn't say that I'm super excited about drafting him there, as I would have been with some of the players even that we had in this class last year. Yeah, I got a, a, a little bit of pushback there. I mean, I, do, I did love Chris Olave last season, like, a lot. <laughs> and obviously Garrett Wilson as well. So they were falling in that spot, so I can kind of agree. But I do think Jordan Addison is in a tier of his own <laughs> as well. I have Jameer Gibbs in that, that tier behind JSN with Addison. Mm -hmm. So, but in a tier of his own, as far as these wide receiver prospects are concerned, there's nobody else that I would peg as the wide receiver too, that has as much upside, even can sniff the upside of JSN. Um, Addison is, I mean, people are certainly justifiably worried about the regression you move from Pitt, which is a much easier conference um pack isn't a overly difficult defensive conference either but you're going from kenny pickett to the number one prospect uh, quarterback prospect in college football wins the heisman caleb williams and there's some regression there but he also averaged 2.78 yards per route run in 2022 at usc which is 11th amongst 136 wide receivers that are entering the nfl draft this year and seventh ranked uh passer rating when targeted now obviously passer rating has a lot to do with quarterback it's not a stat that i love when people keep using for wide receivers like oh he had the number one quarterback rating when targeted it's like well it's not hard to catch it when it's caleb williams and you're wide open yeah. but <laughs> with that said obviously I, I do think there's some positives even in the regression year that he had at usc for sure um 
Addison's Bolitnikov year at Pittsburgh is as good as you can hope for from a 19-year-old regardless of conference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I guess it's really just a matter, I guess the difference between the two of us would be that I'm not as excited probably about the upside there. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll talk about it a little later. I don't want to give too much away now, but um, yeah, just the way that I personally view upside versus competence, I guess you would say for, for fantasy That's purposes, a fair, yep. Um, is yeah probably coloring my perception of Addison there. Why don't you get us into the number three player here, which is going to be Zay Flowers. Yeah, this I'm, I'm glad that I, I got bumped and, and was able to have him at number three <laughs> because <laughs> people might not agree with my consensus of that. I, I certainly think I have him ahead of uh, Quentin Johnson, who not to give too much away, we'll obviously get into. But yeah, Zay Flowers comes in at 5'9", 182. Uh, classically undersized so to speak but one of the things that i don't care about with undersized wide receivers if the nfl doesn't care about it and zay flowers has gotten more draft hype than almost anybody leading into this draft class pushing into the first round as high as 32 to the chiefs um and as we were talking about kind of pre-air um the chiefs did use a first round visit on Zay Flowers in Texas. They made him stay after his visit with the Texans to catch passes from home. So they obviously like him and that is only increasing his draft type further with all of the other 32 teams because that team just won a Super Bowl. So Mm -hmm. with all of that said, I mean, four years, I don't love the non-early declares. Obviously, it just gives us a, again, with the analytic process, there's nothing perfect about it, but what it does is it, it, it allows you to shrink the tunnel of, you know, does he check this box, this box, this box, this box. And the more boxes that are checked obviously gives you a higher hit rate. And that's kind of the basis and simplicity of analytics. And for people that get intimidated with math and numbers, it's also kind of simple, like high number, good, low number, bad. And (laughs) and yes, we like to do division and write percentages for market shares and stuff, but that's just it. The higher the market share, the earlier that it happens in their career, whether they only needed three years to hit those thresholds, things of that nature and yeah only a three-star recruit ACC spent all four years at Boston College he was a Bolitnikoff Award semifinalist a phenomenal senior season so obviously a good business decision for Zay Flowers to take that extra year he Mm -hmm. caught 78 passes for 1077 13.8 yards per 12 touchdowns and kind of underrated rusher as well he has 57 career rush attempts for 345 yards that's 6.1 yards per carry just throwing that out there i always love a little versatility in my underrated wide receivers and mm-hmm. again his 99.9 percent route participation throughout his career 29.6 percent target share 25.6 targets per route run gets over that 2.27 yards per route run 1.35 receiving yards per team play which is a little bit under that 1.5 threshold that I like to set but still very good overall so there's very few red flags on his profile and should he get that draft capital I think Zay Flowers could certainly produce wide receiver two numbers at a consistent base maybe his size is going to keep him from elevating that dynasty value a la a Marquise Brown a Tyler Lockett guys that continuously produce above their trade value um you know Marquise Brown has barely been anything but a a top 15 wide receiver and you're still going to see him at wide receiver 20 probably for the rest of his career and and Tyler Lockett felt a a similar fate and I think that narrative will stick around with wide receivers but as I was bringing up at the top of Zay Flowers profile his size doesn't concern me if the NFL doesn't care about it 
<laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. I had written down that uh, I actually thought that Flowers had some of the worst QB play of any of these receivers, especially the top two ones. Are yes, yeah. and yeah, it was just impressive, honestly, for him to be able to put up any kind of numbers with how bad that quarterback play was. Uh, not going to name names there, but uh, <laughs> definitely it was not terrific. And I will say this too, because you're kind of bringing in the one negative that I saw with Addis, or um, with Flowers profile rather when I was rounding everything out with just watching him on film and, and, and getting a little bit more nuance added as to like, why is he so bad at contested catches and things of that nature? And, and yeah, a lot of that does come down to like, when you have so many of your opportunities and your A dot is as variant as his is, it was, it was quite low some years, quite high some years. Um, and your quarterback play is that, but like every catch is a contested catch and you're yeah. not going to have incredible catch ratings. And, and same as like why we say drops don't matter. The more volume you have, the more bad things that are going to happen as well. But as long as the volume sticks, it shows that they're not, you know, it's basically your positive plays are more above replacement than your negative ones is an easiest way to look at that. So it's kind of how I view Zay Flowers negatives as well Is a lot of that was out of his control. Yeah. Yeah, I did note that I didn't think he had terrific contested catchability. Uh, obviously, some of that due to the size there, but um, not terrific contested catchability. I didn't think his hands were anything special. Um, I actually don't think there's many uh, many receivers in this class that I would categorize as having special hands, um, for whatever that's worth. But uh, definitely... Yeah. Definitely an electric athlete uh, with the ball in his hands. Um, makes stuff happen on almost every possession, at least every possession where he gets the ball uh, in a reasonable space and is able to actually <laughs> think about making a move after the fact. All right. We got to get into number four, which I'm going to start us off on, and it is going to be Quentin Johnston. Uh, this is due to my ranking for him to be up this far, not due to Matt, so you can yell at me if you think Quentin Johnston should be lower. I definitely think that Johnston was a guy who was touted uh, early in the process as being right up there, potentially the top wide receiver off the board. Now I think, at least from the NFL podcasts and things that I've been hearing, uh, that it sounds like JSN is likely to be the first guy off the board come the NFL yep. draft, and Johnston seems to be sliding a little bit. And he's definitely sliding in, I think, the fantasy community. A lot of dynasty spots that I've been hearing, they just have more concerns with him, I think. I actually think that Zay Flowers over Quentin Johnston is close to consensus at this point, at least from the spots that I'm listening to. Uh, so I do think that this is probably pretty close to consensus the way that we have our first number of receivers. Here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so for me, Quentin Johnston, I definitely, I see all the potential problems. Definitely the analytical profile is not sterling, I guess you would say. There's definitely games. I think, I think that's the thing that uh, really worries well, me as well, but uh, most people the most is that there are games on his log where he just disappears, right? Um, most notably, I think, the game against Georgia in the playoffs, right? I think that's what uh, most people saw, and so there, that's definitely coloring. That's the last perception you get of a player, um, and he was pretty much completely stymied. Uh, I watched that game, um, obviously, to check out what Johnson was doing. I think that Honestly, their entire game plan was to take him out of that game, and they did so pretty effectively. And also, I don't think he'd 
faced many many teams with that caliber of defense. So no, uh, I mean both of those of corners are about to get selected in the top hundred. <laughs> exactly. So I do think there's a bit of two of two different things happening there. They like they didn't just bracket him with the safety. They brought the safety down to play right on top of him, and they just basically gave him no option to go inside or outside on a lot of routes. So they definitely made him a focus in that game. Definitely, you still want to see somebody who you're touting as a top-round pick uh, in the NFL draft to come out of that and still be able to make some plays and uh, fight through it and do something there. So I don't think that you can just totally write it off and say, oh, that's fine just because of the game context. But um, I definitely have a little more grace for that than I think some people do. The thing with Johnson for me and just kind of the way that my thinking about wide receivers in Dynasty has shifted a little bit, I would say in the last year or so, is that I really think we're moving into a spot where the top-tier wide receivers make a difference um, for fantasy. But week to week, there are a lot of different wide receivers that you can fit in uh, to your wide receiver 2, 3, and your flex spots, especially in PPR formats. Like... I can't tell you how many games I started Richie James in last year and he got me the points that I needed, right? Um, And so in a lot of cases, I'm really looking for um, just how I'm building my teams now is to have that one elite guy, two elite guys would be awesome, but to have that one elite guy and then a bunch of guys that I can kind of pick my matchups week to week, have those guys behind him. And so for me, like, uh, for instance, Addison and Flowers would fit into, I think they'd be those guys that I'm picking week to week. Uh, I'm not sure that they're going to be just complete staples in my lineup every single week for the rest of time. I think that Johnson has a ceiling that neither of those two necessarily have. Uh, It's definitely a big bet to say that he'll hit that ceiling to take that next step. There's definitely, I know, like, if you look at Daniel Jeremiah's uh, scouting report on him, he talks about how he doesn't trust his own hands and he lets it get into his body. He, uh, even when he's going up for contested catches, he's going up to make body catches. That's the contested catch thing is not something I'm super worried about. I had that issue with Jalen Waddle. Uh, Jalen Waddle did that on every single contested catch uh, at Alabama, and it was obviously has not been an issue for him in the NFL. Seemingly not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's not something in particular that's super concerning to me. I think Johnson, honestly, for his size, I know his size isn't quite, uh, what was it, six two and a half instead of six four or something like that, and a little lighter than we thought, so not quite as impressive as we thought it might be, but still, for a man of his size, dynamic agility, I actually think his route running is pretty good if unrefined. Like, I think he's explosive at the break point. I just think he doesn't necessarily know what to do all the time. Um, <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment, man. Yeah. So I really think that in terms of the physical package, like there's nobody that's close to him, uh, in my opinion. He ran a four four nine, which I was actually surprised by. I thought he might get close to four threes. Um, but came out at a four four nine at his pro day, which I was a little surprised by. But in the end, like he gets open deep. He's too big for small corners to cover, uh, in a lot of ways. When he's on, like, he is literally uncoverable. Like, there are times where, like, defenders are getting crossed up, they're going the wrong way, and he's just wide open across the field. Uh, So I do think that when he's at his best, that he has a ceiling that I don't even think JSN necessarily has. Um, So all those things to say, I view this as a player that 
you know, whatever percentage of outcomes it is, you could say like even maybe it's a 15% chance that he actually puts it all together in the NFL. Maybe that's the percentage chance that I'm taking here, but he has that percent chance to actually be in my mind, like a difference making top 10, top five dynasty wide receiver in his career. And I just value that so much more than a bunch of guys that I view as largely interchangeable in my wide receiver two through five on my dynasty rosters. That for me, that's why I have Johnson up in the in the tier with Addison, and I go back and forth between those two. Who I would take, it might honestly even depend on a team. If I need some upside on a team, I might take Johnson over Addison on the clock. If I'm just looking for another guy to add to my stable of wide receivers, then I might take Addison for the safer pick. Um, I'm really kind of torn between the two in that tier for myself. Um, but yeah, I guess that's. That's my spiel is really it's just about how you value that upside. And I don't know, Matt, maybe you disagree. Maybe you don't think he has that kind of upside, but uh, let's see your input here. Strategically and from a game theory standpoint, it's really, really difficult to push back on anything that you said. You you mentioned all of the downside as well, which obviously is throughout the cycle becoming more prevalent and talked about um, with, with, you know, le- leading the NCAA in drops and things of that nature. And obviously the body catching is being a part of that problem with those drops. It's, it's pretty hard to, I, I mean, I think he nailed it perfectly. D- doesn't trust his own hands at some points. Um, with that said, I, the only thing that I will truly push back on is I am of the mind that JSN has the same upside mm-hmm. of a true difference making wide receiver. Sure. Yeah. And it might come from an Amon Ross St. Brown career path, but I don't think either of us would disagree that Amon Ross isn't a staple of Dynasty. Right. Yep. No, that's fair. Um, Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I'm perhaps underselling JSN a little bit on that front. And yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm clearly taking JSN in his own tier above Quentin Johnson at this point. It's not that I view them the same. It's just about that absolute ceiling that uh, I, I think you're correct with that assumption. And and that that strategy again, it, it's it is a sound game theory. You're playing for upside at that cost is not a bad idea at all. Yeah. And I do think that I I mean we see it in our in JWB. We've been running obviously tons and tons of mock drafts, rookie mock drafts, and you see Johnson slipping and slipping. It used to be he was almost always the 107 or even 106 in a lot of drafts and now much more consistently 110 111 uh, in a lot of them uh, the last little bit here as some of the narrative has seemed to change especially on twitter around uh, yeah just some of the the cons being amplified about johnson's profile and about his tape so It'll be interesting to see where that all winds up, but I do think that Johnson is one guy in this class that has uh, kind of that upside that I'm really interested in, and that's why, for me personally, I am willing to take that risk, even in with a first-round pick uh, for myself. All right, number five, Josh Downs. Uh, same here for both of us. Let's get him in on... This is our, I guess, our Tier 3 that we're into. Uh, he'll be the last player in our Tier 3 here. Matt, why don't you lead us in here? Yeah, I think justifiably so, the last player in Tier 3. Now, Downs arguably has the most well-rounded analytic profile of anybody in the class because it's just consistent. He never regressed, always improved. One of the things that 
does concern me and I'm, I'm obviously going to kind of shoot myself in the foot and touch back on is yeah, five, nine, one seventy one, but then only ran a four, four, eight and his game film and game speed appears obviously much more fast and dominant than that. Doing so out of the slot mostly is going to give a little bit of a different nuance than that. Obviously watching a guy burn down the sidelines, you can get a better gauge of how, how he wins in, in one-on-one coverage. Right. Um, so yeah, Josh Downs is definitely going to have to follow that career arc of high target as he's always been a super high volume target slot receiver. He's obviously been incredibly productive doing so, um, leads essentially UNC's entire college in every single receiving stat ever for single season, single game, whatever career. He's been incredibly dominant in the ACC. He's essentially the only reason that Sam Howell should have ever been viewed as an NFL caliber quarterback. You could say the same thing about Addison and Pickett, but it's true about Howell and, and Josh Downs as well. Like quite literally the only reason that Sam Howell got NFL draft capital is because Josh Downs was dominating over guys like Deami Brown, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, who all went into the NFL who all got considerable NFL draft capital as well. So I think people forget how high Deami Brown got drafted. That's yeah. neither here nor there. And Josh Downs has been incredibly productive. It's going to be an uphill battle, but we were speaking kind of earlier about nobody really has incredible hands in this class. And I didn't want to interrupt you because I knew I had to bring it up. Two drops on 120 targets in 2022. That's according to PFF, who definitely gauge drops a little bit different than like player profile and stuff. I've noticed that, but two drops on 120 targets. It doesn't matter who's calculating that. That's absolutely incredible. 385 yards after the catch, 12 missed tackles in his final season. So he's got some yak ability, obviously being in the slot. You want to see that. One of the best things about his analytic profile that really nobody else in this class can claim is he has a single season of 42.6% of the team's receptions and 40.1% of the team's receiving yards. And that was in 2021 when he was just 20 years old third most receptions in ACC history like again just dominated the conference year after year after year um, made an impact as a freshman you'd love to see that really early freshman breakout so did so at like 18.2 years old again the, the size in the I guess intangible speed that we we certainly don't have the athletic grades to back it up he, he graded out kind of poorly in, in his athletic grades and in his relative athletic score is combined but those things don't always like i was saying earlier correlate to nfl success sometimes the things that are most you know seem like they're the most prevalent because we watch the 40 yard dash and it's televised and the three cone isn't seem like they have more of an impact but but certainly his agility and in his burst scores and things of that nature are on par with some pretty top talents that you see perform well in the slot at the NFL level. So I really like Josh Downs to kind of round out that first round, say 112, um, depending on somebody we were talking about earlier, but kind of depending on if there's any quarterbacks that sneak up the NFL draft board. Um, But yeah, I, I think Josh Downs is kind of one of those receivers Exactly as you were saying, I don't think he has the wide receiver one ceiling, but I very much think that at wide receiver 16 points per game for a three year career window is something that you should be interested in. It's a little bit boring, but again, though, those players are valuable and are safe bets at that closing end of the first round. And that's kind of what I like to uh, 
I think we've rounded that out enough in the process. I do like taking safe bets and safe bets that certainly have the upside, but we're questioning, you know, in that process, the percentage of that upside. And I think Josh Downs is a pretty high percentage to be a career wide receiver too, but in the NFL and fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from my notes, I said, I think Josh Downs is an absolute lock to be a productive NFL slot receiver. Um, I don't see how that doesn't happen for him. He's got speed. He's got hands. Honestly, I, I've seen some people criticize like contested catch. I honestly think those people are just looking at his size and saying he can't he's go up and get the ball. surprisingly like angry over the middle. Yes, I would yeah. absolutely agree. Like he had a little bit of that Jalen Waddle where he's like, no, nah, I'm I'm undersized, but I'm going to go up over top of you and get it. Yeah. Uh, he had a little bit of that that he showed on occasion. So I really love to see that. Just that. I don't know, maybe I'm overrating a, and kind of driving a narrative here, but when I see that, it just gets me a little bit excited about how badly a receiver wants it um, and how much they're willing to. It's just an effort thing, like a play-to-play -play effort thing that I, I like to see out of receivers. It makes 100%. me feel like they'll be a little bit more consistent down-to-down uh, -down and uh, pick up a few extra yards or catches that way. Um, yeah, I don't. I do think that, you know, you could be in a situation where he gets pulled off for two wide receiver sets. And so he's a little bit less of a snapshot player and he ends up not quite having that ceiling because of that. Um, but I honestly think that he probably could win from the outside uh, as well as from the slot pretty regularly. I, I mean, the production speaks for itself. Like you're saying of this class, if you look at career best uh, yards per team pass attempt, Josh Downs has the best season out of anybody, including that yeah. ridiculous JSN season. So definitely a guy who's got the production on tape. It looks like he backs it up. It's really just about that ceiling. But as we're saying, we're talking about a guy who's going in that 112 to 202 range in a lot of our mocks right now. And honestly, I don't view this player like drastically different from Zay Flowers or somebody like that. Zay Flowers going at Agreed. 107 in a mock versus Josh Downs going at 112. Like, give me the, give me whatever it is to trade back from 107 to 112. And give me the I'll juice. Josh. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll take Josh Downs there, pick up another receiver that's going to fit into my stable of receivers, like I'm mentioning, going to get me some production when I need it. And then I'll take the extra on top. So I do think that Josh Downs is going to be a really solid value. Like you're saying, probably not a not a spectacular player that you're like super excited about changing your entire lineup, but definitely a valuable player that's going to be worth the cost to acquire. All right, number six here is going to be Marvin Mims. And Marvin Mims, kind of another guy in this mold, a speedy, undersized receiver, played primarily out of the slot at Oklahoma, dealt with truly terrible quarterback play in 2022 from Dylan Gabriel. Um, so there is that as well. Terrible have... offense in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Horrendous. I'm not sure that Mims has... It just seems like he lacks awareness at times. It's hard to quantify exactly. Um, I don't think he's a polished route runner. I think he wins a lot on his actual athleticism. He's got terrific speed. I think he ran a 4.38. Um, so definitely the speed. He's got yak ability. He's got good hands. He'll go out and get a ball that's hard to get that a lot of receivers would give up on. 
Um, definitely all that pluses in his favor. I know there are some big names that are really into Marvin Mims. He's been a little bit of a popular subject on Twitter the last couple of weeks, and I've seen him getting pushed up some boards, getting into wide receiver five, even wide receiver four on some boards. I know Sean Siegel, who's somebody that I really respect, uh, is super into Mims on a few different analytic profile measurables. So I do think that Mims is a guy with decent upside um similar to downs i would say like the reason that mims is a tear down from downs for me is that where i think mims has the same kind of upside the same kind of potential role to play in an nfl offense i think that downs is already polished and can already do that from day one where i think mims might agree to take another step in terms of the route running in terms of the awareness um the rest of it honestly looks pretty similar to me uh, just watching the tape between the two players. Yeah, I'm actually quite a big Marvin Mims fan. Um, And one of the, he's basically in all of those positive analytics that you're talking about. And I actually will quote Siegel here for a few times is yards per target, Marvin Mims, 13 and a half Jackson Smith and Jigba 12.7. That's one and two. First downs per target, Jackson Smith and Jigba 0.55, Marvin Mims 0.50. That's one and two. And both of them, by the way, the only two that top out at half um, a first down per target and the only two yards per target that are over 11. 19 and a half yards per reception. There's also 3.32 yards per route run um, in 2022. And as bad as that offense is to see, as you were saying, that, that yards per route run even be better than JSN's best season is one of those things that you can add a little nuance to that. He also leads the NCAA in yards um, accumulated over 20 yards per target. So 602 yards over 20. Like he's, he's a deep threat maven. Uh, Mm -hmm. I hate this idiom, but it really is super true about Marvin Mims. Like he can score from anywhere at any time. He he really can like a, a target because of that yak ability as well. Like a target for him means six points. And, and that's why you kind of see him hit all of these high analytic thresholds, even though Oklahoma couldn't pass the ball. Like, and they were around like 24 pass attempts per game. You think the Falcons were bad? Watch some Big Ten football. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely agree. Yeah, so Mims, a guy that I could get excited about. I think he's going in a really solid range right now, like back into the second, I think, is probably where he's going to end up. NFL... Uh, mock draft database has him right now on average going at pick 73 so you're talking about a solid early third round uh, kind of draft capital is his projection at this point definitely definitely if if he gets that then i think like back into the second uh, is probably where he's going to end up and i'd be pretty comfortable paying that price for him yeah all right matt why don't you take us into number seven here with jalen hyatt yeah, this is the one guy that I think we might be a little bit lower on consensus then. But at the same time, uh, Dynasty Market's kind of getting smarter and, and better at analyzing these prospects, sometimes better than the NFL, because Hyatt certainly is going to get first-round draft capital, it seems. And he's not somebody I'm overly excited about. A lot of his positives are tied into his speed. He has a very limited route tree. He runs straight nines, and that is where essentially all of his production came from. It does not have high success rates on any other routes. And menial contributions as a freshman and sophomore. 20 receptions for 276, two touchdowns in his first season. 21 receptions for 226 regressed in his second year. And then 
lack of target competition. Obviously, you know, the husk of Velas Jones left and he went for 1267 on 67 receptions, 18.9, 15 touchdowns, won the Bolitnikov, seemingly wiped away a lot of those red flags, right? But even with those positives, he doesn't super pop on the analytic profile, even in the one year. Um, career best averages obviously are going to come down a lot um, because of that late breakout. He isn't early declare, but didn't really start producing until almost 21. So the early declare means a little bit less when you don't have the early breakout attached to it, talking about narrowing that tunnel on the analytic profile. He has more red flags than positives. Now, the positives are great. Fifth in NCAA in yards, second in receiving touchdowns, second most receiving yards in Tennessee history in a single season, broke the Tennessee single game. Um, touchdown record with five against Bama had six total receptions five of them are touchdowns went for 248 yards against Bama effectively knocking Saban and Bama out of the playoffs completely with that win as well because of strength of schedule rulings so I mean the kid performed big in big games and big when he needed to to raise his draft capital but as like like somebody that plays Debbie is like Jalen Hyatt wasn't really on many radars he was kind of a you know, one of those guys that he's the next breakout, he's the next breakout. And then finally year three, he really did break out. So Mm -hmm. there, again, there, there are some positives, but I think the negatives really outweigh them. And that first round draft capital attached is it's great. It obviously helps round out profiles, but we've seen time and time again, how the NFL values speed over production and over consistency. And people are kind of getting wiser as you're seeing Jalen Hyatt's overall value drop a little bit behind these players that have higher analytic profiles, but aren't necessarily locked to get that high draft capital. And a lot of that becomes because of like, again, extremely limited route tree, late breakout, lacks the strength and size to dominate in contested catch situations, has terrible success rates on zone coverage. His highest success rates in man are on straight routes. He doesn't even have like incredible yak ability or really good success rates on short routes, but it's kind of concerning. Like a wide receiver that is a Bolitnikoff award winner should have higher than 73% success rate on slants, man. So <laughs> yeah. when you're asking a guy to, transition into the NFL, even though he has had some success against big game cornerbacks to do it at a consistent basis. And the NFL seemingly agrees with his next gen and NFL scouting grade that Jalen Hyde is a boomer bust starter. Uh, he may never become one and his production is likely going to be sporadic. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down from my notes, Hyatt is a textbook outside speedster, solid ability to make plays on the ball. He was not asked to run a wide variety of routes, but he was solid if unspectacular in what he did run. I feel that Hyatt's most likely NFL outcome is the take the top off the defense guy who's more useful for real life than he is for fantasy. Um, I I really think his ceiling is Mike Williams. Like I think that's his absolute ceiling. Sure. I think Williams is definitely better in contested catches. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah. I was just speaking from like a production value, right? Sure. Yeah. No, I could see that. Uh, I felt similarly with Hyatt that I did about Jamison Williams uh, a year ago. And Rose. Where I just really worried about the projection to the NFL. Like, it was a little different with Jamison Williams. It was like Bama would pass protect for half an hour and then. Jamison Williams would run by everybody because he's just that much faster. And how often does that actually happen in an NFL game? With Hyatt, it's a little bit more, you know, you have the Tennessee offense, which is obviously kind of a 
it was definitely a college offense, right? Um, right? Definitely a limited route tree, so it's really hard to get a sense of that part of his game, how projectable that part of his game could be. Can he do it if he's asked to run more routes? I didn't see it. Um, definitely, like you're saying, with the success rates um, on like a basic slant, like you just don't see it uh, on the few times that he's asked to run different routes. You just don't see anything that says, oh, yeah, he can definitely do that. He just wasn't asked to do it a whole lot. Um, so I definitely have some pretty major reservations about Hyatt. I actually have him beyond our next player, uh, which is teammate Cedric Tillman. So that's probably a little bit of a hot take. It is the same tier I love for me. It, so but I'm I don't not, agree, uh, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not like if you tell me you have Hyatt over Tillman, that's obviously not something I'm going to like stand on my soapbox for, but just for me personally, I think there's definitely an NFL receiver there with Cedric Tillman. Maybe not obviously like a wide receiver one, probably not even a wide receiver two for fantasy, but I think he has good agility for a big guy, has the ability to open himself up down the field. Um, similar, obviously to Hyatt was not asked to run a wide variety of routes, but he had showed toughness, ability to make plays in traffic. I think that'll serve him well at the next level. I actually thought, like, for the routes that he did run, like, a lot of it was go routes or hitch. And I actually thought that the gear down on the hitch for a guy who's 6'3", 215, was actually pretty spectacular. Like, he lost people on the hitch. Number one okay. note in, in Cedric Hillman's notes for me is deceleration. Yeah. In, yeah, yep. really impressive. Um, mm -hmm. So that gives me some hope that, you know, there's some route running nuance to his game that we maybe haven't, it's been a little bit untapped with this guy. But I do think like, even if he's not a terrific route runner, that he's big enough and he's shown the toughness to win on contested catch balls. I do think that he's able to do that. I, th I think all told, he profiles a little bit as like a Cortland Sutton kind of player. Um, maybe not like the high end uh that's a good high-end player for fantasy that you're really excited about, but definitely a player who's going to play in the NFL and he's going to have some games where he's pretty relevant for you. Um, I'd say maybe a little bit less of a contested catch guy than uh, Sutton, but a, maybe a little more agile and abrupt route runner. So uh, kind of the pluses and minuses there. All told, I think Tillman is a definite NFL prospect and somebody that I definitely think is going to be in uh, a lot of two wide receiver sets for whichever team drafts him. How about your take there? Uh, if you don't have him, uh, over no, Hyatt, I mean, I have him. I have him ahead of the the guy that we're going to touch at nine for sure, and and in the same, basically in a similar tier to Hyatt, but kind of speaking to what we were alluding to earlier with Quentin Johnson, is I do think Hyatt kind of has a bit of a higher ceiling, and Tillman's more of a can produce probably quicker than Hyatt potentially, but more of a safer play in that exact kind of wide receiver two with with some upside um obviously not talking about health wise but as like a Cortland Sutton yeah I, I kind of actually really like that comp size as well so yeah yeah so Cedric Tillman last note here currently on NFL mock draft database slated to go 67 on average so that would be pretty nice there have been some recent um He's getting some hype. That have had him. Yeah, he's definitely getting some hype of late. Some recent mock drafts that have seen him get up even into the early seconds. So it does seem like he's um, pretty likely anyway to get some decent NFL draft capital as well. All right, Matt, why don't you take us into number nine? That's going to be Kayshawn Boutte. 
Just yeah, an absolute conundrum of a player. Somebody that obviously again starts with analytics and and plays Devi that uh, absolutely obsessed with. Thought he was well worth the cost. I mean, it it's crazy, man. Athletically didn't grade out well. Obviously had a terrible combine. Had some ter- horrendous regression. But like he set the SEC single game record for receiving yards at 18 years old. 14 receptions, 308 yards, three touchdowns. That's of all time. That's every single player. Like not Justin Jefferson, not Jamar Chase's incredible breakout. Like. Keishon Butte, single game receiving records of all time in the SEC. His past production is as good as it gets for a true freshman breakout when you're really considering age and, and level of competition and market shares and things of that nature. Led the entire SEC in yards per reception, five touchdowns across 10 games, and then goes into his second season, only starts six games as a sophomore. Some ankle injuries, COVID shortened season as well for everybody, but ankle injuries are what really kept him away. But he catches 38 receptions for 509 yards, has a blistering 145.3 QB rating when targeted, as as much as I don't really like looking in that stat. When you look at how horrendous the QB rating is for every other receiver and how horrendous that QB play was after Joe Burrow left, that actually is kind of an eye-popping stat. Gets derailed by some ankle injuries, but he also, like... He's putting up a 28.1% receiving touchdown share and a 22.0% share of the total offensive production in that season in only six games. That is the entire team's production over the 11 games that they played. He had 22% of their entire production. And then the following season completely concedes his role to Malik neighbors and falls off the face of the planet has a horrendous calm mind has questions about his personality and character because he said he was going back to school then wasn't going to get the NIL deal that he was confirmed so he went back to declaring for the NFL draft and things of that nature like obviously there are a lot of red flags with Keishon Butte and if you're holding on to the upside of that ghost of an analytic profile that we saw in that true freshman year like I think that's a little foolhardy that said that receiver is definitely still there the question is going to be can he return to that form and is it between the years or was it the ankle and because of how little injury information we actually get from college football teams specifically ones in the SEC for some reason like what it drives me crazy but the lack of injury information that we have and medical information up until they really get through the entire draft process and stuff and red flags didn't come up in his medicals on the ankle before but it certainly caused some regression um and we don't know if that's lingering but he never looked like a 4540 player on the field and that's what he ran at the combine again there there's just so many questions with Keishon Butte and I don't think any of them are going to be answered until we see him play a full NFL season so with that said as much as I enjoyed that true freshman breakout I think investing over these other guys that have rounded out their profiles in nothing but positive manners is kind of foolish. Mm-hmm. You can still take a dart throw on him if those running backs in that secondary tier dry up in the second round, sure, towards the back end of the second, because no other wide receivers have what he had, mm-hmm. but I don't think he has it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, Boutte kind of starts off the next tier, um, kind of gets into the next group of players that we're going to be talking about. I wouldn't put him in the same tier as Hyatt and Tillman and Mims for myself. I, agree. I honestly never thought that Butte particularly popped on tape. Even like, obviously, I watched the game with the 300 yards, and even in that game, like, it was good. Um, and but I feel like it 
kind of had the look i don't really know how to describe this but it kind of had the look of a game that was just like one of those games where everything just happens to go perfectly you're just playing um, on rookie he, mode yeah somehow he just gets <laughs> lost in coverage a bunch and uh, everything kind of went his way which i mean i guess it kind of has to to get it any kind of 300 yeah, yard no, game for as sure. a receiver but um just for myself, I never thought that Boutte completely popped on tape. Then he comes out at the combine. He jumps a 29-inch vert, which is like, I don't know, like first percent. I'm pretty sure I have something. a 29-inch vert. I'm not yeah, even right? like, tra- talking trash. Like, I'm honestly pretty sure I have at least <laughs> a, a two-foot. So, <laughs> Yeah. So to me, that either says that um, the injuries are still lingering or it says that he basically didn't prepare for the combine and either one of those have me pretty worried. Um, so for me, Butte, obviously there is still that thought about what he could be, which you don't have with a lot of the players that you get into in this kind of, uh, tier with these wide receivers. Yeah. He has that, what could be uh, kind of factor to him that you don't get. So there is that about him. But I am pretty concerned that this is a player who's just kind of trending absolutely the wrong way. Like NFL Mock Draft Database has him now going at 108 on average in the NFL Draft. And he was like, before this process was still considered to be like, he's going in the second round. People like him that much sort of thing. But yeah, all of that is out the window for sure. Yeah, it definitely seems like he's been a big-time faller throughout the the process, both in fantasy and in the NFL side. So um, definitely there's still a spot I would take him, but honestly, in all the mock drafts that I've done, somebody's always been a little bit higher on Butte than me taking him in that early. I'll let him take that risk, I think. Yeah, I've seen him go in the early second still. Even in the late second, there's usually another running back somewhere like there's an Abanaconda or there's a Tucker that falls or there's just somebody there that I'm a little bit more interested in that I think actually has a ceiling for fantasy. I'm just not sure anymore exists with Butte. It's just a swing, basically, I guess, is what I'm getting at at this point with Butte. For sure. All right, we'll round it out with number 10 here. This is a guy that I managed to get in uh, with my ranking. So I actually kind of like Xavier Hutchinson, I'll give you my film notes here. High effort player with a diverse route tree ability to shake at the line or at the break point. Not one to run away from a good man corner. Most of his work came in short areas due to the offense. Shows terrific body control and overall athleticism with the ball in the air. Several high degree of difficulty catches on tape. Uh, Another body catcher, definitely not a burner, but he is definitely capable of beating his man at the catch point downfield. Not really a yak yak guy, but he is a useful run blocker, uh, good size, so that could get him on the field for a few more downs if he ingratiates himself with his coaches that way. Overall, I just thought Hutchinson, and then actually his his testing numbers were pretty solid. I think he ran a 4.53, which was good to see. So the athleticism athleticism a little bit better than perhaps I even thought based on the tape so I don't think this is a necessarily a high ceiling player uh, but I do think he has the look of kind of a professional wide receiver Um, good size will get on the field to run block he'll make himself useful at least in the NFL Um, So I do think this is a guy that's probably going to see the NFL field and I do think that quite honestly like there's once we get into this range, like we said about Boutte, there's not a lot 
to get excited about. So you're looking for guys that might actually get in, get on the field, get in your lineup, and might give you those points um, on those weeks where you might need to stream somebody in. You've got injuries to yep. most of your starters. Like we're talking about guys that are going in the third, fourth round of your rookie drafts at this point, right? So um, now my question before you get into Hutchinson a little too much more <laughs> is – is this kind of the tier, whether it's Hutchinson or a different player, but after Boutte or is it before Boutte, is this kind of the tier where you're kind of breaking off from the wide receivers or wide receivers and just saying, you know, this is, this is where I'm just into whatever running back is out there that had decent draft capital. Is that where we're at with this group of wide receivers that we're talking about now? 100%. And that's why I'm trying to contain the smile so much is you're a better segue man than I give you credit for, because we were talking about exactly <laughs> this before we went live. And, and that that's the, the hit rates that you see of third round, fourth round wide receivers. And there's even kind of like a common, it's starting to shift a little bit of the analytic model and obviously of the film model as well. That kind of the fourth round is the new third round for running backs because of the devaluing of the position and, and the depth of the, the position available as well. But with that said is you're going to get legitimate guys that can hit and have analytic profiles that say they have good hit rates, even with fourth round draft capital at the running back position in these tiers. Whereas guys like, Xavier Hutchinson, even I really like Raheem Jarrett. I really like Tank Dell for, I mean, the guy led the NCAA in receiving touchdowns with at a ridiculous rate at Houston. So the, these guys have positive analytic profiles, but the only thing that really makes them good bets, as we've been reiterating over and over again, would be them breaking through that draft capital model. Whereas a lot of the running backs that we get in this tier don't need to do that to be safe bets. Like guys like you, if you see Tucker's fall, the Kendry Millers, you even get a little bit later with the rush on Johnson's, the Muhammad Ibrahim's like, absolutely. I'm going to go after all of those guys before these later tier wide receivers. But I do also think it's important to mention as we were, as the dynasty market kind of devalues this class is it's a deep class. Like we just talked about 10 legitimately viable wide receivers and there's running backs that you should prefer over them. Like there, it's a very deep class. And I think that's getting forgotten about. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, why don't you dig into it a little bit more? You definitely have Rakeem Jarrett and Tank Dell a little bit higher than I do. So why don't you talk a little bit about those two players and why you would kind of prefer them out of this tier of players? Yeah, I mean, they're just the upside. It's that upside bet. Obviously, you know, we don't see underside receivers like Tank Dell um, who don't have 4-2 speed and 99th percentile speed scores really dominate much at the NFL. But obviously the production profile, the market share, the touchdowns, the target share, all of it is box checked for his final season at Houston. Um, he does have positive athleticism, obviously. It's just not the best in the class, especially considering his size. He's not like a Rondale Moore um, percentile athlete at that size. But with that said, he's he's got that ceiling, that ceiling of no, not wide receiver one. You're not going to really find anyone with that analytic ceiling in this tier. But that guy that can break through, have big upside weeks and be somebody maybe even um, Rondale Moore-esque, Wandale Robinson, at least on the market that people still get positively attached to. So whether they are producing on your rosters or not, they have enough positive check um, boxes checked in their profile that they can get a little bit more of a return than some of these guys that are high upside shots with much lower floors and things of that nature. And same for Rakeem Jarrett. Rakeem Jarrett at his ceiling really is the best yards after the catch receiver in this draft class. Like at his ceiling, he's Debo Samuel. 
that really is what Rakeem Jarrett is at a ceiling. The issue with him is that ceiling is going to be uncommonly difficult for him to reach based on the regression that we saw at Maryland. And yes, there's mm -hmm. some nuance there. The nuance being it's Maryland. You know how bad that <laughs> offense was? But that said, he was still getting outproduced by other players on his team, which is never going to help an analytic profile. But he was, that said, <laughs> dominating every touch after the catch, which a lot of these receivers have positive yards after the catch profiles in general, but not to that ceiling level. So those are why I like those two players specifically. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Um, for myself, a couple guys that I'm a little bit more into, Parker Washington, I just think is yeah. kind of a little bit more of a uh, kind of that professional slot receiver. I think like a Cole Beasley kind of guy, uh, but definitely <laughs> Alec more Alec Pierce yak. is who he reminds me of, to be honest, for the most like okay. recent draft cycle. Sure, yeah. Um, definitely a yak guy, um, kind of built like a running back a little bit. Um, so he definitely has that to him. Definitely like good hands, like some of the better hands, honestly, in this class that I would say um, was demonstrated on tape anyway. So I definitely like Parker Washington. I don't think this is a guy who's going to command a huge target share, but he is definitely a guy if he goes to the right spot and he's the every down wide receiver three as the slot guy, then he could be a valuable player. You saw like even Cole Beasley have fantasy relevance. 100%. Seasons, J right? Jamison so, Crowder years in Washington. Yeah. 100%. These guys have yeah. valuable seasons for sure. Yeah. And Parker Washington, um, a guy that I picked up, I have one rookie draft that I did before, obviously the NFL draft, and I picked him up for free after my four round uh, rookie draft was completed so I was able to get him on waivers after that was completed so definitely you're talking about a tier of guy who's not highly ranked for the NFL draft uh, he's gonna go pretty late um, but you can throw him on your taxi and just see if he lands anywhere if he sticks anywhere if he develops into that kind of role so that's Parker Washington I think A.T. Perry is a guy that some people are pretty excited about there's some buzz um, around A.T. from Wake Forest for sure yeah, definitely. He's got some height, speed. Um, he's got that kind of profile to him. Decent production as well, yep. um, which has some people excited. What's your thoughts on Perry? I mean, I think Perry's kind of that old prototype almost. Like he's it's kind of slow, <laughs> kind of yeah. big-bodied red zone threat, but it doesn't really have the big body <laughs> either. You know what I mean? Like So it's kind of that old prototype wide receiver. Can definitely be productive, almost in a similar vein to Parker Washington, but doesn't have as many positives to his profile. Um, I'll segue into it because I think Jaden Reed's a guy that we should touch on before we close out. He, he does have a lot of positives to that profile, um, even more so than a Rakeem Jarrett, kind of more similar to a Tank Dell as far as the analytic checkboxes go. There's a lot of really good things that you saw in that final season. Yes, a little bit of a later breakout. Obviously, that's something that we've talked about can create some difficulties when rounding out an analytic profile. But yeah, I think Jaden Reed, especially if he gets the that draft capital that's buzzing around him where he's kind of sneaking into the second round of the top 75, I don't know if he'll actually go there, but there seems to be some hype and I don't know where it's coming from. But I like Jaden Reed's profile. I'd like it rounded out with some positive draft capital. Otherwise, he's kind of, again, just stuck in this tier of they're fine dart throws and guys that you can stuff on your taxi. But really hoping for that true upside is, you know, you, you have to weigh risk over cost. And, and I think most of the running backs offer similar production upside with a much higher hit rate. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. 
three more guys just going off NFL Mock Draft database that are currently slated to go in the third round. If this holds, obviously, Rasheed Rice, Tyler Scott, Jonathan Mingo. You got any interest in any of these guys, Matt? I'm honestly pretty out. I know Rasheed Rice in particular has gotten some buzz. Rasheed was was somebody that neither one of us even ranked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was just pretty underwhelmed, quite honestly, with his tape. Uh, I was kind of surprised that his athletic numbers looked halfway decent because I didn't think that he was actually going to be an NFL-caliber athlete. Uh, I was pretty surprised by that. Uh, apparently he didn't have a great senior bowl either, but he's still up here. So that was a little surprising to me. I'm just kind of all the way out on rice personally, Tyler Scott, a speed guy, Mingo kind of, a a late riser, I guess you would say in the process. There seems to have a few fans, but again, not somebody that really does any, like there's not a trait for me to hang my hat on really. I don't think and say this is how he wins, uh, at the NFL level to the point where he's valuable for fantasy at least. So um, the only guy, honestly, I know he's probably not even like he's close to not getting drafted. If you go by these numbers, um, these average mock draft numbers, but Bryce Ford Wheaton at least has the size speed profile that you're kind of interested in where you can squint your eyes and tell yourself a story about how he could get there someday. (laughs) Yeah. And on tape, he wasn't terrible. He had a little bit of that red zone threat to him where he was able to box out. He was able to make uh, the body control kind of catches that you like to see. So uh, if there is one guy that, you know, whether it's after your rookie draft is over and you're looking for somebody to stash on your taxi, uh, or if it's in that last pick, the 412, uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton is somebody that I am considering in those spots. Anybody else for you, Matt, that we haven't talked about that we should? I mean, I want to bring up these guys because they have incredible production and it's kind of why I put them at the very last of my tier, but it's Puka Nakau and Andre Ausivas and Andre Ausivas transferring from Juco and and everything and then having one productive year at Arizona is eh. like it's I'm not yeah. the we see this a lot though like we do see th- this a lot with guys that that transfer to power five conferences and have a decent year but the NFL doesn't feel the same way um about these guys that we do and then you know a la Jalen Tolbert's they're yeah because they haven't had the repetitions against solid competition you see them fizzle out very quickly um so that said like I, I do have them as recognizable names because they have positives in their analytic profile but had to bring them up as like these guys are truly like pretty bad bets puka being from byu right it, it is actually mm-hmm. like you know you, you see a lot of uh enamoration with these small school and small conference receivers happen every year um even if it is as like fourth round picks late thirds again a la jalen tolbert and it's just a bad bet every time mm-hmm. absolutely agree all right I think that's going to do it for us. Matt, why don't you tell us what you're up to, what you're working on, plug everything you got going on for us here. All right, cool. Uh, You can find me on social media everywhere, Twitter, whether you're still there or you like to get stuff on Instagram, TikTok, at PsychWardFF for all the social media platforms, working for stuff at BrotoFantasy.com. Head over there for all the rookie profiles that we've covered today i've basically got profiles on everybody as well um up there make sure you know you check us out on twitter facebook all the good stuff you know what it is absolutely one of the best canadian fantasy football analysts out there i would say 
I, so yeah definitely the love is mutual man <laughs> <laughs> definitely go check that out for ourselves here for myself uh you can find me at nathan gn on twitter always happy to talk about these receivers or anybody else and how to play your rookie dress this year and for jwb at jwb underscore ff is where you'll find everything on twitter uh, definitely, if you are watching this on YouTube, throw us a like, subscribe, click the bell, get notifications. All that helps us out well in a major way. And yeah, if you're looking for those mock drafts, if you're trying desperately in the last week here to get up to speed for your rookie drafts with the NFL draft right around the corner, if that's you, you should definitely jump into the JWB Discord and Patreon. You can get into a bunch of mock drafts. You can catch up on our free pre-NFL rookie ADP. Uh, definitely a really valuable resource that I've been looking at a lot as we get into this season. And obviously, as I did my own draft uh, in yeah. one league before the NFL draft. So I really think that's a great resource, something that JWB is offering. I think that's going to be it, folks. Much love.